0: The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org.
1: I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to find food truth and connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And today I am delighted to have Dr. Chuck Benbrook with us, He is the Chief Scientist at the Organic Center, and prior to heading up the Organic Center, he served as the Executive Director for the Board on Agriculture of the National Academy of Sciences, a position he held for seven years. He's also been a consultant, written many reports, books, and peer-reviewed articles on agricultural science, technology, public health, and environmental issues. Chuck, welcome.
0: Thank you. My pleasure.
1: Well, you know, I I wanted you to join us today because I am an openly supportive advocate of organic agriculture and food, and there have been several confusing and conflicting headlines in the media, which are very troubling. And frankly, I'm confused, and I think many of our listeners might be too. Tell us, is organic agriculture and food nutritionally superior to conventional?
0: Well, you know, my read of the published science is that that it is pr- probably consistently or, uh, by about twenty five percent across a set of nutrients that are considered to be the most important uh, in terms of what the average American diet delivers. You know, I I certainly understand why there is continuous debate on this question, and I can alert your readers that. They can expect uh, a continuation of the sometimes conflicting findings and studies, and, and there'll be a lot of attempts to confuse people about what this body of research shows. But uh, having read uh, you know 120-plus peer-reviewed papers reporting the results of uh, studies, some very well-designed, uh, some less so, comparing nutrient levels in, in organic and conventional food, uh, you no, know, it, it, it's certainly my judgment that a clear conclusion can be drawn that, uh, on average over time, or, organic farming does deliver more nutrient dense food, and you know I, I think there'll be a lot of debate for many years about what the health significance is of these differences. But I think common sense leads one to to conclude at this point that. Given that the government wants us to double our consumption of fruits and vegetables approximately on a daily basis to ingest more phytochemicals, more antioxidants, and, and more vitamins, if we can do the same thing by seeking out fresh, uh, organic fruits and vegetables that are more nutrient-dense, uh, that, that's a, a positive step in, in, in the right direction.
1: Why the debate?
0: Well, be the, the debate exists because some people, and, and in some countries, there's a, a, a very public debate going on about the future of the food system and agriculture policy, just like in the United States today where the public is focused quite intensely on the debate about health care and health policy and the role of the government. Well, in the United Kingdom right now, in Great Britain, there is an equally intense debate, but it's totally focused on the future of their food system, they're very dependent on imports. Both, both the price of food is going up and, in many respects, the quality is going down. They're very concerned about it. And in Great Britain, the public debate has been framed as a, a, a basic choice between a high-tech, capital- and chemical-intensive agriculture that relies heavily on biotechnology as one path to a more secure food future for Great Britain versus organic farming as the alternative path a more biologically based, ecologically driven kind of agriculture. So in the U.K. and much of Europe, the broad public debate about the future of food is really contrasting what biotech and, and energy intensive and chemical intensive systems have to offer versus organic. And that's that framing of the debate is starting to spill over in the United States. So whenever a study like this recent one that came out of the Food Standards Agency in the U.K. comes out that raises uh, questions about the nutritional superiority of organic food, it, it gets picked up by PR firms and and trade associations and companies that really want to try to raise public doubt and, and, and confusion about what organic has to offer and, and that's what we're seeing happening right now.
1: You know, you're absolutely right. I, I try to help people think critically about media messages as part of my work as a dietitian. And I think one one issue that is very important for people to understand or to start asking is why or how do some headlines get crafted and why do we see more of those headlines than others? Who owns uh the source of some of those media messages? And how, again, are those headlines in particular crafted to benefit whom? And I I think that many times people don't read beyond the headlines, and it can get us into some trouble.
0: Well, absolutely. Uh, for, For example, a recent letter came out in Science Magazine that had a very negative headline or title for this letter to the editor, and the authors were shocked when they saw their letter come out. They did not see the headline. they disagreed with the message in the headline. They felt that it was an inaccurate representation of what they said in their letter. But you know once the magazine is published and out the you know the damage is done and that's the uh, one thing that uh, you as a journalist you know, and as as do I, we can write pieces and submit op eds to publications, but the the decision on what title or headline to use almost always rests with the editor of the publication. And typically that, that decision gets made very late in the process. And often, uh, you know, a, a nuanced and careful report can wind up uh, being discussed with very uh, blazing hot headline that really doesn't reflect what's in the, the body of the message.
1: That's right. Let's let's give our listeners an example. So the headline for this letter was organics colon evidence of health benefits lacking. And yet ironically in the body of the letter it says given these important benefits supporting unsubstantiated claims of nutritional superiority is an unwise and unnecessary argument for promoting dietary changes. And yet, we can't stress enough the many potential public health and environmental benefits from organic production methods and the consumption of organic foods. And then the, the, the next line is, For now, we urge scientists, producers, and others to carefully identify the boundaries of accurate messaging and not to mislead themselves and the public. Wow. So the boundaries of accurate messaging, and yet we have headlines that don't match a message that says we can't stress enough the the many potential public health and environmental benefits.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's... uh This is really uh, actually a quite extraordinary letter in in science to which many of us uh, will be responding in due course, uh, hopefully through the letter section of science, but the headline dismisses any health benefits of organic food, and yet the body of the letter acknowledges that there's significant and positive health benefits from reducing dietary exposure to pesticides. For right. example, or exposure to herbicides in groundwater, which is something most citizens in the uh, in Columbia, Missouri, know all about.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: so, the public health impacts of organic food and farming arise from many different factors. What the science, the authors of the science letter were addressing, was the set of benefits. That are associated with or or triggered by the uh, higher nutrient density in some organic foods, and that's a piece of the puzzle, but it's certainly not the whole puzzle. And to to sort of dismiss all of the health benefits of organic food and farming after discussing just this one piece is uh, uh, you know dishonest at best.
1: I agree, and I also think as as a dietitian, then that perhaps we should be changing our definition of nutritional superiority. To me, weighing the nutritional superiority has to do with the holistic way in which the plant or the food, the animal, has been produced. And I was asked at a recent State Dietetic Association, well, is there any evidence that organic food is better for us? And I I replied probably a little snippetly and I, I said, well, you know, it really doesn't take rocket science to figure out that if you're protecting water, soil, and air, wouldn't that lead to better health down the road? So I think our definition of nutritional superiority needs to be expanded beyond the hair-splitting of nutrients and looking more towards the bigger environmental impact of our food production system.
0: Well, uh, you know, I, I would agree with you that what we really need to be talking about is food quality. And food quality is a concept that encompasses the positive things in food, the the nutrients, the fiber, the calories, the protein, the things that are bad for you that are sometimes in food, such as salt and sugar and saturated fats, the environmental toxins that are sometimes in food that could be bad for you, mycotoxins and microbiological contamination and things of that order. And then last, uh, the, the chemical contaminants, either drug residues, if we're talking about an animal product, or in the case of uh, fruits and vegetables and grains, uh, pesticide residues. So to me, the, you know, the, what the public's most concerned about is the, the total health impact of the food choices that they make. And that impact is a, a, a complex function of, of the nutrients that are in the food, the bad things that, that are sometimes in food, That hopefully aren't there the presence or absence of mycotoxin or microbiological contaminants that can trigger all sorts of health problems and and, and last either the presence or the absence of drug or pesticide or other chemical residues and and that you know so that's a complex mix and people uh, it's a lot to ask the general public to pull out their food quality index calculator as they go down the the aisle of the supermarket and and try to make these nuanced judgments about, you know, does Stonyfield yogurt, is that better for you than than some other kind?
1: Right. Uh, If you're just joining us, we are speaking with Dr. Chuck Benbrook, who is the chief scientist at the Organic Center. You know, Chuck, one of the things about organic food or any food really is we have become so trained to think about food in terms of what's in it. And I think Along with asking that question, which is very valid, we should be asking, what's not in it? And that gets at your point that you made about the chemical residues, the pesticide residues. And in light of that article that came out of the UK, I'd just like to also mention that there's a new article that's out. Uh, This was originated by a French scholar out of Marseille, The Nutritional Quality and Safety of Organic Food a Review. This really is in complete opposition to what we saw out of the U.K. Uh, and he basically lists six major reasons why the nutritional quality and safety of organic food is higher.
0: Right, and Melinda, the, your listeners should would be interested to know that this, was, uh, this article is summarizing the findings of a broad-based review involving over 50 scientists commissioned by the French government. So what we really have now is dueling government reports uh, issued within two weeks of each other that uh, reach uh, very different conclusions and offer very different messages to, to people. And, you know, it's um, it, the, the irony of uh, the, the differences in the British and French view of this is uh, it, it's culturally very rich to, to contemplate.
1: So if we were going to leave consumers with some messages about their food... You know we we still have a confused public, and we certainly will continue to have confusion out there in the marketplace. There's the issue of cost, of course, that always comes up. Uh, well, we'd like to buy organic food, but it costs more what What would you tell consumers who are going to the supermarket with shrinking dollars in their pocket?
0: Well, I think it's certainly time to change some basic eating patterns. I think uh, having a few more meals at home as, a way, uh, as opposed to going out certainly saves money and, and gives the consumer greater control over, over what they eat and the quality of the food they eat. I think cooking more dishes from scratch and, and buying more of the ingredients uh, either in season or, or in bulk is, is a, a great way to reduce the, the cost of, of meals. If someone, if a family is willing to put a little bit more energy into, into either maybe growing a little bit of their own food or participating in a local community garden or a CSA or just shopping a bit smarter for uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, organic fresh fruits and vegetables that that are in season, uh, often on sale and often at a very modest price premium compared to conventional, uh, there's ample opportunities to actually significantly improve the quality of the diet without really spending uh, any more. But it does, it does take some effort, and people you know, need, to, need to be willing to make that, I think. Well,
1: we talked a little bit about France versus the U.K., and yet uh, here we are in the United States. We have a brand-new president, a brand-new administration. We've got Tom Vilsack at the helm, and we've got Kathleen Merrigan, who's a known organic supporter as the Undersecretary of Agriculture. Where do you think we're headed?
0: Uncharted waters, and I think full steam ahead. I think that this administration has already shown that it's it's going to chart some some new directions in, in many areas. The commitment in the USDA and in the White House to changing the quality of diets consumed by children is long overdue and it's going to be very important because as you know Melinda as a, as a practicing dietitian the, the time to change dietary patterns is pretty young in life and uh, I think the focus we're going to see on the WIC program and the school lunch program and, and messaging from the government targeting children uh, is both long overdue and it is the sort of um, critical investment in uh, turning the tide on on these incredibly worrisome and costly uh, upward trends in obesity, diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease, and and other diseases that have their their roots planted to one degree or another in in how it produce food and the dietary choices that are made by Americans.
1: Yeah, and speaking of children, Chuck, I want to mention that you have a series of wonderful reports at your website that people can go to and, and download, uh, one of which was co-authored by a good friend and colleague of mine, Christine McCollum, and that has to do with the first steps and how very important it is to have high-quality diets during pregnancy and then during those early years when we have rapid cell replication and division. And I know that uh, I heard you speak at the American Dietetic Association last year. It was a fantastic presentation about some of the the benefits of organic food, certainly. But also we talked a little bit about endocrine disruptors in, in pesticide residues. Do you want to talk about that at all?
0: Well, sure. This is an area where There is a flood of new science coming in journals uh, published all over the world. It's a very, very active uh, area of science. Trying to understand through what mechanisms, very low doses of endocrine-disrupting chemicals and and in particular pesticides that are present as residues in, in food, how they disrupt normal development in ways that, that have, in some cases, serious lifelong consequences for the, the health of the individual. And what research teams really from all over the world are, are now able to document, it. It, it's extraordinary. They're, they're able to show that if a, a pregnant woman gets exposed, say, during a 7- to 10-day period, when the child within her womb is going through a, a particular developmental stage, if they get exposed to a, 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 a class of endocrine disruptors that, for example, mimics a regulatory protein that's helping to guide the rapid cell division and, and the development of an organ system like your nervous system, for example, if one of those regulatory pro, uh, proteins gets blocked because a uh, a, a pesticide and an, an endocrine disrupting pesticide has mimicked the same uh, chemical structure as that regulatory program and sort of the 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 key has gone into the lock, and so that that particular point of entry for the regulatory protein is blocked. then what happens is a there, there's sort of a um, a miscue in the developmental process that that never gets can never get fixed. And as the uh, the fetus develops, and, and then as the child grows up, there's there's some kind of a developmental deficit that that later in life will manifest itself in perhaps behavioral problems. Uh, and and one of the areas that's very uh, hot right now is that we're learning that uh, several pesticides, including atrazine, you know, one of the most widely used herbicides and a very common contaminant in drinking water where you live actually appears to be contributing to obesity and diabetes by blocking or uh, somehow impairing normal response to blood sugars. This mechanism we all have to moderate our caloric intake and our dietary intake and then manage our blood sugars, it's a very fine-tuned elaborate mechanism, but it's also unfortunately one that we're having problems with for a, a, a growing number of our population. I mean, what's our? we're up to 15 percent of Americans either have or are going to get diabetes. It, it's a very serious problem, and it appears that exposure to chemicals during fetal development is one of the uh, sort of foundation bricks, if you will, uh, that that increase the risk that people are going to have problems managing their weight and their blood sugars later in life.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating research and frightening, I might add. And if our listeners want to read more about this, if you'll go to the Organic Center, which is www.organic-center.org, right on that front page you'll see a critical issue report, that first step, Organic Food and a Healthier Future, and you can just click on that. I love your newsletter called The Scoop, and you also have, you can click on, uh, there's a bar at the top, and you can find out what the hottest reports are, the latest science reports. And then uh, you also have a wonderful review of the literature with regard to the topic of nutritional superiority, and that it comes under the Critical Issues Report, Nutritional Superiority of Organic Foods. So people can go to your website and stay informed well beyond our interview.
0: That's right. And uh, we, we certainly welcome uh, everyone to do just that.
1: I want to mention something else that you brought up at the American Dietetic Association, which I thought was fascinating. And that has to do with um, the kinds of cultivars that are chosen. You know, one of the arguments is that nutritional superiority is dependent upon the cultivar that we choose more so than whether we produce it organically or not. And you brought up a, a fascinating topic, which is that the the kinds of, of seeds that are chosen today are chosen because of the kind of food they produce, that it, that it's better, it, it's faster growing, produces larger, food, larger fruits and vegetables faster, and it makes for good shipping. And you compared the nutritional quality of those kinds of fruits and vegetables to the organic production that focuses more on, say, maybe an heirloom variety of produce. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Well, sure. The the focus of uh, plant breeders in in the United States and indeed, you know, most of the developed world for the last fifty years or so has been selecting for higher yields of all sorts of crops, from wheat and corn and soybeans to to apples and cucumbers and melons. And this this emphasis on yields has really come at the expense of the nutritional quality of the food. And, and When you define nutritional quality as sort of the amount of nutrients that you get per serving or per ounce or per calorie consumed. And we, we know from literally hundreds of studies that as we push yields up with more and more nitrogen fertilizer in particular, there's been a, what's called a nutrient dilution. It's, it's, the actual term is the dilution effect. And what happens is, yes, you you know you have uh, larger apples, bigger bigger tomatoes. They're often very juicy, often very sweet, but they contain lower concentrations of the health-promoting phytochemicals that have antioxidant properties and other health-promoting properties. And, and this is now an, an issue that is being discussed openly in the scientific community and i have to say that the work of the organic center has helped uh, bring this issue onto the table because obviously at some point uh, we're going to have to start to focus back on um, increasing the nutrient content of food uh... even if that means we have to back off a little bit on on the yield curve and uh, you know i i think that that's really where we're headed uh... I would. I think the, this this current decade, uh, you know, that's that's coming up, will will mark uh, when agriculture stops focusing slow, uh, solely on increasing yields and and instead starts to focus on both maintaining good yields, but also increasing uh, um, uh, the, the the quality of the food by enhancing nutrient content and, and reducing the vulnerability of the crops. To insects, to plant diseases, you know, reducing the vulnerability of animals to animal diseases, and what that does is that it, it will help farmers cut back on, on pesticides and animal drugs, and it will reduce the frequency of these terrible outbreaks of microbial contamination and, and other food safety problems in our in our um, meat and, and other animal products.
1: Oh, Chuck, I knew our time together would fly. Uh, I want to thank you very much for being with me today, and I want to encourage our listeners to learn more. Stay informed so that you are an informed consumer. Go to the Organic Center. Uh, We have been speaking with Chuck Benbrook, who is a Ph.D., has years, decades of experience in this area. Uh, If you go to www.organic-center.org, Get on that mailing list for the scoop and and stay informed. That's our best weapon to stay well. I want to uh, remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you all for joining us, and thank you, Chuck.
0: Um, My pleasure.